Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. Uh, it is wonderful to have you along with us, whether you are on YouTube watching us or whether you're just listening in your ears. Uh, it's a special podcast this week. I've got regular co-host Tim. Hello, Tim. Hey, Joel. It's great to have you on. You've got a beanie and a, and a noisy jacket. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make as much noise as I possibly can just to muck with Eck. They always look exceptionally warm, those jackets, though. They are. I don't yeah. have one. Yeah. Uh, there's some yeah magic about them that keep you really warm. Ma- magic in I think they're in built the with magic, yeah. Built with magic? Yeah, like there's genuinely magic inside. Goodness. They're so cheap. <laughs> they're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> this was end of season run. Oh, end of season, end of season Kathmandu sale. Yeah, that's right. Because they're yeah. always on sale at Kathmandu. Are they? I feel like they are. Oh, right. No, I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, this was an Uber special. This is the only reason I could afford to buy one. Uber special? Oh, Uber as in like Uber sale. extra. I thought you bought it yeah, through like the Uber, Uber app. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. no. Right. I'm impressed you don't have any holes in your jacket as well. I've got uh, one well, of those, I mean, but I've got the old band aid on it. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, the band aid on it. <laughs> band aid, right? Yeah. Uh, if you want up the the duck, if yeah. you are listening, you're wondering who that is. Uh, Aaron <laughs> Smith. Uh, welcome to the podcast. You asked a question last week, but now you're on the podcast. Here I am. Yeah, really grateful to be here. And no, uh, I'm an avid listener. I, I sent yes. in a question last week, and you guys gave me an answer, and it was really good. So I don't know if it was a great answer. <laughs> oh, it's good that you you were open to answering it, and. Yeah, I messaged you a couple of months ago and yeah. wanted to kind of create a partnership with you and just love the podcast. There's just so much good stuff that you guys are creating mm. about ministry philosophy, about how to do church, just really helpful resources for someone like myself at Bubble College or people mm. in ministry. So just want to honor you both and say thanks. Thanks oh, for having me on and you. thanks for producing like amazing quality content. Oh, Even right. though I know as a podcaster myself, I know sometimes it's like, who's listening? What impact is this having? Yeah. Just know that. Yeah, it's been really helpful for me, so thanks. Thanks, man. That's yeah, really kind. We could probably end it here. <laughs> we Thank you Let's for watching. When I finish with a one-way. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Oh, um, no worries. Can I ask, a f- the first question, I suppose, is like, how did you hear about the Shockers of Life? Because I'm interested to know that. Mm. What do you, Did you just find it on YouTube or something? I tell you what, Dave Lovell came on the podcast yeah. to talk about Christian surfers. Yep. Because Christian surfers is something that I've been a part of. I'm not, I haven't been a part of it recently, but... Mm. I was growing up as a grown and a couple of years out of high school as a leader and speaker stuff yeah. like that. So he messaged a mate of mine and myself actually just to say, oh, I just was on this podcast and talking about CS and other stuff. And that's how I first heard about it. Mm. And then the second time was it at Bible College at SMBC, Sydney Missionary Bible College. Mm. There was someone there who was talking about your church and ministry philosophy and I had questions about how to go about things. And he just said, have a listen to this. And that's the second time I got into it. That's when I realised, oh, I've heard this before. <laughs> and that's when I started to interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? be on the podcast binge. When you find one that you like, just, all right, I'm going to listen to this every week. And I travel two hours every day to basically Bible college, like there from the Northern Beaches and back. Right. So I just have a lot of podcast timing. Yeah, time, so. exactly. Well, thanks for... Yeah. Um, it is funny how you, like, you hear one thing and you're like, oh, I'm not that fast. And then hear like someone else talking about mm. it or, or whatever and then you're like oh yeah i should listen to that and then you're like, and that's the time that you get onto it a lot of the time rather than it's like a it's the power of advertising i suppose absolutely, you, absolutely. You, don't, you don't just see something once you got to see it a few times before you get on and you got to know at the right moment yeah you hear about it at the yeah. wrong time then you're not going to flick out your phone so yeah exactly yeah. well um like I said, we, it was, we, I didn't expect you to speak so highly of us. So <laughs> really, really appreciate that. I wasn't paid to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you're, you also said you're a podcaster yourself. What's, uh, what's your podcast? Tell us about that. Because mm. I'm actually going to be on it uh, 
after this we're gonna we're yeah. gonna record an episode yeah so. which should be fun and exciting yeah so we, what are, what's it about it's called aspire and it's based off paul saying it timothy whoever aspires to be an overseer aspires a noble task mm-hmm. and basically i created it with a mentor of mine a couple of years ago just to encourage more young people and all types of people really to consider paid gospel ministry or vocational ministry however you want to call it something i was talking about with my mentor is that just a lot of people are seemingly not seeming to aspire to that anymore or enrollments have dropped in colleges and there are lots of gaps in our churches so wanted to just start having conversations with people that I were interested in having as in how did you get into ministry what were the challenges you faced in getting into ministry what are the challenges you're facing right now Mm. and so I thought I'll just have people on and ask people their stories and Mm. get to have those conversations myself but then let other people listen yeah cool so do it with Paddy, who's from the EU, and also Silv, who is also at Bible College with me, yeah, so see. a little co-host. And you go to so. SMBC as yep. well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you just did you just finish a, a, is it a semester? Is that what we call it? Finish a semester. Must Done and dusted. Stoked. I'm feeling good. How much feeling time good. you got off until it starts again? I got three weeks. Nice. So that's that's pretty little good. A little bit of time away. A little bit of downtime. So, yeah. Very nice. Good. And uh, do you do anything else? What else do you do during the week? Because you work, you go to Anchor Church, is that correct? Yeah. So Anchor Church, Northern Beaches. A student pastor one day a week there. Yep. And basically, that's it. Full-time beggar to my wife, Lara, <laughs> who pays the bills. <laughs> yeah, okay. And study, doing yep. a Master of Divinity at SMBC. So nice. a couple of other rogue little things to pay my wage as a as a Oh, what are those? Student, what are these? Are you, are you stealing things <laughs> and selling them or something? <laughs> uh, a couple of little, just my, go to my old school's cadet camp. Yeah. Little, just, yeah, little adventures like that. But yeah, yeah, cool. That's about it yeah sweet no worries tim mm. i don't think i've ever asked you and i could be wrong like did you go you went to college right <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> <I did. laughs> it sounds how stupid i sound asking that no, but it's because right. i haven't yeah um similar experience to going to Bible college you think that enrollments are dropping and stuff like that oh i don't know about numbers mm. um but yeah i mean i'm not surprised in one sense in, in that yeah i think um, I know from Youth Works College, again, I'd, it's not my responsibility to know exact numbers, so I couldn't pull them out of the top of my head for you, but uh, we have waves up and down. Uh, my second year crew at the moment is, it was a fairly low intake. The, this current year's first year was a bigger intake. Um, What's, what kind of numbers would that be, though? Uh, for, uh, the, um, my boss will get me in trouble for not knowing, but <laughs> I think we've probably got uh, 40 full-time equivalent. At YouthWorks College, so that would be most majority of those are face to face, and a few of those would be online. Um, there are a few people, particularly online, we get people just doing one subject. Uh, they're just kind of slowly knocking over something. Um, so they're usually not vocational workers, but people who are just uh, doing a couple of subjects to be well equipped lay people. Um, <clears throat> so we do a lot of uh, that. Uh, but yeah, full time who. They're at YouthWorks College largely because they are thinking about vocational children's and youth ministry. That's our specialty. And so, yeah, it's, it's encouraging uh, to have quite a number. But, yeah, my second year intergenerational class has uh, nine in it. So, yeah, which is not all but much of second year. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm. And you, uh, speaking of intergenerational... Speaking of such you went to an intergenerational yeah, segue. <laughs> you went to an intergenerational conference in a different country. I did. Yes, I was not here last week. Yes, uh, I was out of the country. I was down in um, Nashville, Tennessee, and at a conference called Intergenerate. 
and it is convened by Holly Allen, who was one of the co-authors of pretty much the textbook on intergenerational ministry, which is called Intergenerational Christian Formation. Uh, so that was written in 2012, and they at the conference they launched the second edition of that book. So they've just updated it, um, pulled another author in, Corey Seibel, uh, who I know from a few different intergenerational things. So, yeah, it's, it's great. There was probably about 150 people at the conference, uh, all from very diverse um, denominational theological backgrounds and all there because in their own space they want to think about how to do intergenerational ministry well. So, yeah, um, there's probably six of us from Australia, uh, which was great. Uh, the rest, rest from US, few from Canada. I met one guy from the UK, there may have been more. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, got a very diverse crowd. We've got United Methodists, we've got Presbyterians, we've got Seventh-day Adventists, you've got Roman Catholics, um, Baptists, yeah, you've got all sorts who were there. Um, all sorts. All sorts. Yeah, Wild Church party. Of Christ. Yeah. It is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's lots of fun and just really great conversations, uh, really good faith conversations between people of various backgrounds. Mm-hmm who are all trying to work this out in their context and share ideas and share uh, theology and theory and practice and trying to put that all together um, and glean from each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fascinating. What was, like, the biggest takeaway you took from the conference? Like, when you were flying on, on the way home, you're like, you kept thinking about Yeah, I mean, I was flying home in the middle of the night because so I was pretty tired. Um, <laughs> but no, one, of the, one of the key things, there's um, one guy I talked to, Jason Santos, who is wanting a robust theology of uh, intergenerational ministry and has pushed back against some of the theology that already exists around that idea and the use of the Bible in trying to defend intergenerational ministry. And uh, I think it's a really fascinating conversation that's worth pursuing to make sure that we've got a really robust um, understanding of what intergenerational ministry is, why we value it, we all are there because we do think that it is what um, God has called the church to, but there are a few different ways of getting there. And so we want to make sure that it's a really robust, theologically grounded way. Because um, if it's not, if it's just a passing fad, then I, I, for one, am not particularly interested in it from a passing fad point of view. Like I only want to do it if I genuinely believe this is God's heart for the church. Mm. Um, and so far I am. And, uh, yeah, so that was a really rich conversation that fueled me to think, yeah, I, I want to take this um, seriously and, and keep delving into the ways to do this well. What about um, Nashville as a place, just quickly? Yeah, I mean, we don't get out a lot, and I didn't spend much time there outside of the conference. But uh, So, really, it was just in this one university, and I spent time you know, around the suburb, around it, just going for runs or walks. But we did spend one night going downtown and that was just phenomenal. It's mm. just All the music and stuff. Oh, yeah, it's just a really, really fun place to be. Uh, you've got this one main street with all of these bars, uh, honky-tonks they call them, mm-hmm. um, and you just uh, – nearly every bar is – there's no cover charge. You just want walk in, um, listen to some music. If you like it, stay. If you don't, move on. Most of them are three or four stories high and each, <laughs> each level has a different band. So there'd be thousands of bands playing at any one moment um, along this strip and it's brilliant. You know, as someone who enjoys music, uh, it's just really lovely just to sit and, or stand and just watch bands play and they're all exceptional. They're all brilliant uh, musicians 
and really tight bands. And, yeah, that was really fun. We had a couple of people from the States who, you know, acted a bit more like a tour guide and helped us, you know, navigate uh, the spaces and Lovely. Nashville. But, yeah, really, really fun time. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into the meat of the podcast. Now. Um, Aaron, you, as you talked about with Aspire, podcast is about getting involved in ministry and it's something you can we can probably talk about today is that how we kind of got involved in ministry and things like ministry opportunities but uh <laughs> i threw i threw you under the bus a little bit just before we started recording and said like give us a cultural artifact and you threw one out there so what do you it's a show you've been watching is that right I've watched it a handful of times. Okay. I must confess my significant <laughs> other hasn't liked it as much as me. <laughs> yeah. so, so you don't get much chance to watch it. My show like has been relegated. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was this show, I think it's called Alone. Mm-hmm. And it's basically where a bunch of contestants are chucked to be by themselves in part of Australian bushland mm-hmm. and just to survive by themselves for as long as they possibly can. And apparently the point of the show is just to survive and there's no end date. So it's just whoever lasts as, as longest without saying they want to leave is the one who'll win like half a million dollars or something. Yeah, right. And there's just a sense of paranoia of, is anyone going to come? What if I'm here and it's been three years? Or what's the point of this? And it's, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting, interesting show. It's just from a human point of view of what happens when you're by yourself for a really long time and mm. in, the, in the forest. Yeah, I struggle to even be alone. <laughs> In my house for one <laughs> night, <laughs> let alone being chucked in somewhere where yeah. I can't see anything yeah. and, and all that kind of thing. Is there something you'd like? You'd be happy to chuck, be chucked in in bushland. I do really like camping and four-wheel driving that sort of thing. Yeah, but right. Just this idea of just perpetu- perpetually being somewhere not knowing where the end date is. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I'm not sure if I could do that. That's so. wild. What's uh, what's the the gnarliest thing you've seen on on alone that you've watched? I just say the just the psychological craziness. Of people talking to themselves, people talking to the ground, people talking to trees, people just yeah. It's funny what you see people do, yeah. and also how spiritual people get as well. When yeah, they're alone. So Interesting. people praying, people singing songs, and hmm. calling out to the river. Just yeah, wow. That's something about being alone. It just kind of forces us into that place. I feel like there's something a bit funny though about like we'll chuck these people into like some unknown area but then we'll have a camera crew with them and <laughs> the camera crew is probably like well fed. here's the thing though there's no camera crew there so is. they give you the camera equipment they, oh they give to the self-record contest. everything mm. so it's literally no cameraman no one and you don't see anyone else so there's this quadrants that lock you into a particular area oh really so you don't see any other, any other contestants either so <laughs> and you have to find food no, it's no good. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Because no, we talk, like, I think we've talked maybe on the Chip Lunch podcast with um, Ethan and myself are very much extroverts. Like, we just really get energy from spending time with people. So to be on my own, it's like, I'd be pretty depressed, I think, for, for, for pretty quickly anyway. Um, so why don't we start with talking about ministry opportunities and stuff. Thank you for that. that, that yes. Talking about but the link. Do, we, do, do you want to mention the link? Well, we'll do that at the end. Oh, okay. Of course. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, um, how did you, like, maybe we'll talk about how did you get involved in ministry and maybe within yeah. that you can talk about uh, how you became a Christian in the first place. Because you're talking about Christian surface or something. Yeah, sure. Really important for you. Yeah. So how did I get involved in ministry? My parents came to faith in their 30s. Mm. So my mom's from Egypt. My dad, Manly Vale. So you can wow. watch it on YouTube. That's I know I look as white as they come, <laughs> yeah. but I actually am 50% Egyptian. And okay. 
my dad actually came to faith when he was 30 after he was just traveling around the world looking for meaning try different loopy drugs try different religions wow. and it wasn't actually till he came back to the beaches and someone explained to him on north narrabeen beach the gospel for the first time yeah. and he just became a christian and time broke up with my mom sadly but she came to faith a couple of years later they got married and so i grew up in church in manly smats anglican church very faithful bible teaching church and i was around church for a lot but similar to a lot of i guess kids have been around church it wasn't until back into high school probably 16 17 when it started to click that god was a real person not just an idea but it was a person that i could know and relate to and that his grace was been extended to me and um that was kind of a season of coming to faith and then similarly in that season of just really i guess coming alive my faith towards year 12 just praying about the future and praying about what's next and what do you want me to do just felt a real sense of internal call and a sense of the spirit leading me and to firstly go overseas to go to africa so i felt just led just to get out of australia and get out of my little bubble of right. the northern beaches yep but also to, in some sense, be involved in preaching or ministry of some kind. And I said to my, I remember saying to my pastor one day after church on a Sunday, I said to him, oh, yep, I feel like I should go to Bible college. And he was like, all right, let's talk about that. <laughs> I saw that out for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just, it was just the start of a journey of asking questions and talking to people. And I was a young punk and still am a young punk, but realised I needed to probably experience life a little bit. So I went over to Africa did a commerce philosophy degree at uni. Where, where a bit. in Africa? Uh, Zimbabwe, Uganda, okay. Ethiopia. Wow. So yeah, sick. I shaved my head, full monk. was like, Lord, just giving up my <laughs> northern beaches, surfy thing. Just go experience different culture. So it was uh, Very similar really to your dad, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I haven't really thought about that. But <laughs> just was helpful to kind of get out of my neck of the woods and think about what was next, so... So I did those sort of things and then got, was dating, when I, my back into my university degree, I was working and dating my, dating my now wife and we were dated for a couple of years and then got married and then she said, okay, it's time to go to Bible college now. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, you sure you don't want to work a bit more? And yep. I was like, no, nah, now's the time. So ever since then, very, very kindly, she's been supporting me and yeah, right. at Anchor, Northern Beaches. Yeah. So how yeah. did you get involved in being student pastor at? at anchor yeah so grew up at st matt's love st matt's was really formative for my upbringing and everything and discipleship but then we heard about anchor planning a church in the northern beaches we were really interested in church planning because mm -hmm. we just had heard about how it's really effective at reaching new people and new generations and and all this so we heard anchor talk about they were planning in the southwest of sydney and we just thought no way because mm -hmm. we're very into our <laughs> people like Long way from like family. the sharp people are in some ways, right? No, I'm just kidding. Just <laughs> no, kidding. No, you're, no, you're right. <laughs> that is like the sun on the shore. Well. And we just have our little next of the world. We don't want to get out. But then we heard that we we're planting in, they were planting in the beaches. We just thought it would offer some opportunity to experience what it'd be like to do a church plant and be on a core team in an area that we we're really familiar with and culture that we knew because my wife grew up in freshwater. She didn't become a Christian. She was didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. So she became a Christian later in, at university. So we just mm. thought be a different context and cool missional opportunity to have a go at something new and we got blessing from our old church and everything everything's okay so mm. yeah that's that's good yeah. what do you think is the like the biggest thing that you've really enjoyed like starting to enter into ministry and also the thing that surprised you i reckon that'd be a cool thing to mm. for you to tell us what you think 
Because I, I reckon mm. as we get to talk about our ministry journeys, it'd be interesting to compare those things. Mm. Well, I'm very, very early on in my journey. I'm mm. only second year Bible college student, mm. student pastor one day a week, so I'm very much just dipping my toes in. It's awesome, amazing privilege to be set aside at least one day a week for me just to be committed to gospel work, gospel proclamation, prayer, people, meals. Isn't that just an amazing gift? So I think mm-hmm. I've just been just really grateful and thankful for that and knew that was going to be cool. But <laughs> I'm like, God, this is really cool. Yeah. We're actually set aside <laughs> to the word and prayer and people. That's just awesome. So that's been great. And I just love getting to know the people in the church plant and seeing people come along who aren't people who've grown up in church or are churchy in any way. Yeah. Just the whole churchy thing is just new to them. And so it's been cool to create a space where they can feel welcome and see people who haven't come to church in a long time come back. That's been a real highlight. Yeah. And seeing church planning works, like people actually come along who don't usually go to church. So that's probably been one of the great things. Surprise? Uh, I think it's, I, I knew that, Everyone told me very helpfully that ministry is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted and need to be prepared for the ups and downs. And so it was just, it's been good to just personally experience just the normal hardships. So there's not nothing crazy, but just the, the, uh, the blessing of ministry I feel is people, but then also the hardships of people too. And so um, probably, and probably stuff to do with myself as well as I'm doing ministry, learning stuff about myself, my own weaknesses, my own flaws my own ways I need to grow in character and and holiness and um it's it's definitely yeah just that that boiling pot of of dealing with such weighty spiritual matters and yet at the same time as well it's that tension of it's really important but also people are people and they've got their lives and their situations and they're busy and Mm. so uh, kind of really unclear answer for that second one, but no, I think do you know what I mean? I'm like, are you still kinda, talking out loud? So tell me if I, I mean, no, talking out loud is usually a good way to talk. Spelling um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it out loud. loud. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. But like, I think I feel what I hear you saying is that like, it's really, f- really good and really fun, mm. also really hard. And the tension between like, if you're trying to, you're really trying to love people, but they have their own lives, but then it's like, you're a pastor, like, yes, you should, this is what you should do as like as a Christian. You should mm. I should be able to help you with this, but then people like maybe don't respond to that as well mm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but this is what you should do. And but then right. you've got to be careful doing that yourself. Yeah, because you're just as sinful as them. Mm. And you, but you're being set aside, like you're saying. Yes. So you're trying to guide someone or some a lot a number of people. Yes. And they often don't respond to that. And you're yep. like, oh, but that, that's I feel like that's mm. what the tension you're describing. Yeah, people are busy and yeah. life is hard as it is, you know and. Mm. For everyone. Yeah, for yeah. everyone and um, importance of empathy and mm. as well being very young and fresh, that is also an interesting dynamic as well. When you're leading people older than myself, mm. that's something I'm learning how to do with you, like how to be humble and how to mm. take it on the chin sometimes and mm. someone doesn't listen to you, that's all right. That's a part of the mm. part of it. And so that's something as well, just the patience of wanting to be 10 steps ahead in my ministry journey when I'm actually at step one and that's like just learning to be okay with it. And yeah. Even though I'd love to be, you know, 50 years old. I said to some of my, some people at my gospel community, it's like a Bible study last night, I wish I was just 60. <laughs> and just with grey hair. And, and just stay 60. I kind of regretted it after I said that. Like, no, I actually don't think that, do I? But, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Tim, um, 
Let's talk about your ministry journey. Yep. Because I think we asked you a while ago about children's ministry. Mm. And that's what we've been a big part of for a long time. But how did you get involved in ministry to begin with? It was it was a guy me, wasn't it? Yeah, well, in, I mean, yes, it was a guy me. I was, um, we from year nine onwards, I was helping uh, be a junior leader in children's ministry. So we did that for a long time. But also at school, uh, we had a Christian group at school that was kind of over there was there was a staff member who oversaw it but they were very keen on it being student-led and not them leading it so uh, he would uh, yeah he sort of helped coach me into leadership there uh, which was lovely and taught me a lot of things about writing talks and delivering talks and communicating the gospel uh, and so I always found that really enjoyable and had a lot of fun doing that. Had a great team, great friends around that who we would do it together. There was probably about three or four of us in my peer group that we just kind of took that on and ran with it um, and really enjoyed running that lunchtime group. And so that gave me a passion for ministry. And I left high school knowing that ministry was what I really wanted to do in some form. And so, and then I was youth leading as well at church. So I was youth leading and children's ministry leading right through university um did uh, three years of a Bachelor of Arts in philosophy, um, then did what every good Bachelor of Arts student does and I sold shoes for two years because that's about all you can do with a Bachelor of Arts majoring in philosophy. Um, nice. And then an option came up at church to get paid to do the ministry I was already doing in children's. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. So, What shoes did you sell? Oh, yeah, it sounds like a sneakerhead, <laughs> doesn't it? No, no, it was um, working for... I don't know if they still exist anymore. I oh, know they do. There's still uh, Williams at Menai. Um, Williams the Shoe Men, uh, which was part of Colorado Group at the time. So mm. I don't know if you remember Colorado. I do. Store. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Colorado exists anymore. Doesn't it? Mm. No, but that that network of stores was Colorado and Mathers and Williams and a whole lot of others. Uh, and so, yeah, I started working. Uh, well, I was Colorado was my job through uni, just paying bills, casual hours. But then as I was finishing up uni, they're like, hey, do you want a full-time job? And I'm like, yep, well, philosophy degree doesn't qualify me for anything else. <laughs> so that sounds great. So, yeah, <laughs> that was good. So I ended up co-managing a store out at Menai for a couple of years. I didn't know, know that. Yeah, there you go. Any shoe advice? I can, I can fit you for shoes if you like. Well, I think um, you should be the one giving me advice about shoes, not, not the other way around. Oh, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to respond to requests. If anyone wants to um, email them to Joel at Shock Absorber <laughs> um, yeah, about shoe advice, I could... Uh, <laughs> My left foot is a size <laughs> 10, but my right foot is a 9. What should I do? Yeah, we, we had one customer who uh, had an even greater difference between their shoe sizes and we always look after and make sure that she got a good discounts on her shoes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I like to look after customers. So the better, a lot of that is customer facing as well. So you get to you know, talk with people, you're in public. Mm. Um, so even that was you know, skills mm. in terms of ministry. Um, but yeah, so then I was ministering at church a couple of days a week on staff uh, in a trainee role. And, yeah, went, went to SNBC, did four years part-time, um, ended up going going to Christ College, which is the Presbyterian College, did a year there full-time. Um, then went to Moore College and did an MA. What's an MA? Uh, Master of Arts. Okay. 
uh, in theology. So uh, that's three different Bible colleges there. Yeah, yeah. And then wow. um, while doing my <laughs> MA, I did a correspondence subject through Morling, which is the Baptist College. Oh, he's got to get all um, kidding. He's got to collect yeah. the set. So I'm, I'm trying to get collect them all. Yeah, play Bible college bingo. I've got a royal flush of... Yeah. <laughs> and now teach youth work. So, yeah, there's there's oh, at least five. He's done five at least. Yeah, yeah. I need to go do a worship subject at Hillsong College or something <laughs> just to you know, collect a bit more. Yeah, Alpha Crucis. Yep. Um, there's a few more I can collect. But yep. Yeah. I don't know any Ridley or something. Ridley, oh, Ridley, yeah, you do some stuff at Ridley. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's dozens of Bible colleges in Australia, but yeah, cool. So yeah, the, I don't know <laughs> if I've got anywhere near. And then at some point, was working children's ministry at Guymere, um, and then uh, when Soul Revival was starting, uh, took a job at YouthWorks as a children's ministry advisor, uh, and then yeah, that's where I'm still, eleven mm. years later. Mm. Here you are. Well, thank you for your service. <laughs> uh, I suppose I should say my story, yeah. which is quite different, I would say. Um, I know that like Aaron, part of your podcast is talking about like the conversation is looking at different ways of doing ministry rather mm. than the, the mm. regular way of mm-hmm. just go full-time to Bible mm-hmm. college and then and then get a full-time job. Because mm. like, I only work here at Soul Revival one day a week as digital pastor. And it really only came out of me being at Braden, our student pastor, it was at his wedding and I was talking to Stu and I said, man, you need to do a podcast. <laughs> and I'd always wanted to start a podcast for years. I said, you need to do a podcast. We need to do a podcast about shock absorber. We need to do a podcast about intergenerational ministry and the ideas about how like that inform the way that we do church. And I'd talked to him about it before, but then he was like, oh, all right. Like it was kind of like, he was very, uh, well, circumspect. And uh, so we did that for... I think we started that at the end of 2019 and then uh, we just wanted to just start with telling the story of Soul Revival and what informed the ministry and how it came to be where we are today. And then I think Stu, I, I mean, I can't put words in Stu's mouth, but it seemed like he was enjoying it. And so we um, decided to talk about how we planted Soul Revival Church. Um, and then there was a bit of a break then when I, my um, third, third child was born. But then uh, after that, we've just been kind of building up. And I, and I think at some point he's like, oh, it'd be cool to get you on staff. And then, I don't know, I think I was praying about it or something. And then I said to you, like, yeah, I'm ready to go whenever you want to go, <laughs> whenever <laughs> you want to do that. And then he kind of, we talked about it and he talked about it with our wardens and felt like there was a, who is, no, I can't, that's my, that's my computer. I apologize for that. Uh He was just like, yeah, let's, let's see if we can do it and open up the position. I applied for it. And uh, here I am, <laughs> really. But it really, the, it's interesting. Like we talk about hearing your stories, like Aaron and Tim, hearing your stories. And it's almost like God, whatever he puts you through, he prepares you for what's coming next mm, yeah. to a certain degree. Mm. Like, And uh, it was perfect timing for COVID. For like, not, COVID's not a perfect timing, but for me in my role, it was perfect because we originally started, like we learned how to do, put all our sermons up as podcasts. So we went with a rather lofty goal of we had six gatherings at a time and when COVID hit and everyone was locked down, couldn't go to church, we just said it was, I wasn't part of the conversation. I started a little bit after that, but it was like we're going to do six, yeah. gather, six gatherings no matter what to basically that's how we do, that's how we do church. So we're going to do that online. Mm. And so I learned basically how to, I'd already done a little bit with what we'd done with the shockers or then how, like we were just, I was just cutting and editing all the audio that Ethan was filming and putting it up as podcasts. And so that was really cool. But then the real um, tipping point, I think for me was the second lockdown 
when we decided to shake it all up and do it almost like a podcast format for online church. And that was when uh, the, I was so I was so thankful and lucky to have that because you know with COVID and lockdowns you weren't able to see people very much. And like I said, being an extrovert, I was finding it pretty difficult sometimes because I was also working from home, also doing. My wife is a school teacher, but she was in on supervision for the kids that couldn't stay at home. So she was going to work. So I had my two eldest kids with me. So I was doing school with them and being stuck at home doing work. And to be able to come here on Fridays mm. was amazing. And like just we just record four podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it was just, it's a really like fundamental, monumental time of my life because just to be able to I – mean, we could only do it as a small team, but with what, what we did with Braden and Ethan and, and everyone else on staff was just – amazing it was so enjoyable mm. we had such a great time doing it and then out of that once the lockdown stopped we started doing we still do the two podcasts shockers over what we're doing right now and chip lunch but the, all the stuff that we learned from that and be able to bring a couple of people on board Eck, our producer who just edits like a madman really quickly it gets done really quickly but it's the same with ethan like ethan was when we were doing the digital gatherings the second lockdown he was spending like four or five hours editing those to make them really, really polished. And um, I don't know, I think I think we just were able to do, thanks for what God was like presenting us for us and the, the culture that we have at church is to be able to experiment, thanks to Stu and the other leaders being wanting to do that. And um, yeah, it was a really, really great experience for me. So I'm still here one day a week, learning lots of stuff. We do the podcast, um, I'm the communicate oh, the pastor of our communications team so we're trying to build some teams on that now which is going is just going really fun and going really well because we as we said we always like to do ministry as a team not as individuals and um yeah it's been i was thinking about my question that i asked you aaron about like what's like what's been the best thing mm. i probably talked about that but what's the most surprising the most is just i really like only coming on fridays but being part of a team that is um trying really hard to be godly and focused focusing on trying to build his kingdom prevent presents like a much a, such a different atmosphere because i've always worked in secular space and to work in that it's just a different atmosphere of just like it's a, there's a lot of love going on really taking care of each other and then like you can see from my perspective you can see god working in the team mm. and but also in our ministries and that's something like i probably wasn't aware of prior to that uh, I should going back a little bit like I did youth ministry and that was really formative for me I think as a as a person and how it made me better at lots of other things outside of church but yeah to see be on staff and hear like God working through so many different avenues in church it's like oh you know sometimes you doubt and you're like no 100% God is real like it's, that that's the that's the perspective it gives me is yeah, God is real and God is working in my life, these people's lives on staff and also everyone else in the church. Like it's, that's, I think that's the most surprising but also one of the best things to see come out of that. So, yeah. I love that title you've got of Digital Pastor and thank you for sharing <laughs> that, that by all the way. <laughs> no, that's right. Would love to hear though for you as a digital pastor, I don't know many digital pastors. What do you, <laughs> what, what, what are your what kind you of do? hopes and aspirations for your job moving forward? And mm, That's an interesting question. Um, I think one of the goals that we've set, I've set for myself, this is more a practical goal, but is to just promote this, what we're trying to do on the Shocker Zorba and mm. on Chip Lunch a bit more to the wider um, 
public and that's what you can do with the internet i think uh it's it's funny that again like talking about how god works for you like i got into podcasting or listening to podcasts like in 2009 i remember the way i got it i got onto twitter at the end of 2008 and like i thought it was great because i was like because i'm so into soccer or football i found all these writers and I'm like, oh, these are, this is great. I'm getting so much better articles, so much better writing. I can, and then then I found um, it's the Guardian's football weekly podcast, and that's like one of the number one football podcasts now, and it has been for so many years. And they're like, oh my gosh, what are these things? These podcasts. And then I just found as many football podcasts basically as I could. So I'd always wanted to start a podcast from there, but I just I just love. I mean, something that Tim and I talk about a fair bit is this long form podcasting is actually the way to communicate maybe the best way to communicate on a large scale as authentically as you can like you mm. and we you can even talk about joe rogan for example and whatever your opinion about him is i think the appeal of his audience is he comes across as genuinely authentic and being the person that he is and even in his questions and even in his willingness to admit i got that wrong or we got i've listened to a rogan episode recently where he's like oh we shouldn't have said that <laughs> like it's <laughs> like so he's uh, I think pe- people appreciate authenticity. So if we are able to do that in a a Christian space or to be able to communicate the gospel authentically online, that's how I kind of think about it, which is really fun. But I also think I'd like to be able to promote that a little bit more from what we've done so far. Because I only worked at one day a week. There's only there's a limit to how much I'm able to do, which is fine. But I think that's probably my hopes and aspirations. Because we have had we had we did have a couple come to church a couple of months ago when they just randomly saw a chip lunch episode, which is like, that's like, that's, we just want to do more of that. And obviously it's up to God, but that's what we want to do more of is like people just hearing authentic Christian conversations around, whether it's ministry, we kind of focus on ministry and church planning and things like that on the shock or just hearing Christian stories on the chip lunch podcast that we do. That's, that's kind of my hope and aspiration for it. Does that answer your question? Awesome. Yeah. Um, what you guys are doing is I feel so ahead of the times in that I'm and again not here no pay advertising wasn't given a free meal beforehand no, no, or anything like that <laughs> but in terms of having two midweek podcasts I think it's great because considering how much time people have during the week where they're listening to other stuff mm. and obviously a sermon on Sunday is really central to the life of the church but having other resources to help us in our discipleship walk with God it's no brainer so yeah, really I cool. think, uh, and it's inspired me and our church as well to think about how to do well, that's more mad. stuff. Well, so. that I mean, again, that's another great thing about like let's do this together as churches. Mm. Not, hey, we're the only ones that do this type of podcast. It's like, well, how like the the idea of abundance rather than like kind of being limited to like no, no, we are the only ones that do it. That's that's the other thing that I, I hopefully trying to communicate is that that's part of the reason why you're on here is that like we want to say hey listen to aspire as well because not because this is the only one you should listen to but this is again just trying to speak into people's lives like let god speak into people's lives in different ways and how they're Mm -hmm. if they're doing it via other podcasts let's try and do that via our our podcast as well i think that's the i've never really articulated that that way so i appreciate you asking that question because that's that's yeah that's what i'm thinking about I thought you were going to say something, Tim. I wasn't, but I can bounce off what Aaron said, and I think it's right that uh, for our people who are listening to sermons on a Sunday uh, or Saturday night, that there is one particular space where they're getting discipled by us. But if they listen to, you know, even a great 
30-minute sermon that's still two, yeah, what, six days, 23 and a half hours where they're not getting that particular content. What are they getting? And to provide opportunities for them to be engaged in discipleship through other medium, uh, visual, audio, whatever it is, written stuff, then, yeah, that because we were always being discipled. The question is what are we being mm. discipled by? And so if we're being discipled primarily through our social media feeds and through secular media or through, you know, whatever else it happens to be, then that is what is going to shape us. And so having really great Christian content that is um, helping people to come to know who Christ is, um, possibly for the first time, so there's an evangelistic edge, uh, and for those who are already in the church to help them grow as disciples of Jesus in their knowledge, love and obedience to him, then providing that space for them uh, helps them to uh, curate and and consume uh, material media that is actually going to further their depth mm. of knowledge, love and obedience. And I think that's really, really key. And that's why, yeah, I, that's why I really love the podcast is because it's able to do that for those who are listening in. Um, and particularly this one, it helps church leaders uh, think strategically about ministry, mm. um, ministry philosophy, ministry theology, theory and practice. Mm. And so, yeah, there's lots of really great things that the podcast formatting does. Mm. Speaking of podcasts, you also have your own podcast, a different podcast. Oh, do you have my own? Well, it's not like my own. We were promoting Aspire. We also should promote yours. Yeah, so YouthWorks, the Effective Ministry podcast is mm. where you can find uh, YouthWorks. And so, uh, yeah, that was a project started by my colleague Al, particularly during COVID. He really wanted to help equip churches as ministry, uh, face-to-face ministry in the churches shut down through the social isolation. How do you equip um children's ministry leaders and encourage them and equip them in the ministry that they were then um, forced to do in the fact that they all they could do was equip individuals or equip households or those kind of things. And that was a massive shock to those who go into ministry because they love people and they love Jesus and they want to bring people to Jesus and vice versa. And so all of a sudden that was ruptured. And so what does it look like to do effective ministry in the midst of the COVID lockdowns and social isolation. And so, uh, yeah, my colleague Al started this podcast called um, Beneath the Crown, Underneath the Crown, something like that. Sorry, Al. Um, <laughs> uh, under the Crown, that was it, Under the Crown. Um, uh, and, yeah, that played off. Um, so just, you know, sporadic episodes over those two years. And then once it seemed as if uh, certainly social isolation and social lockdowns from COVID were not going to be a part of our regular life anymore. Um, we, uh, Al and I particularly, decided to reshape the podcast and so we, we rebranded um, and reshaped it as the Effective Ministry podcast. So we look at effective children's and youth ministry from all sorts of different angles. Um, yeah, so, uh, and just to plug the most recent episode, we've had a chat with Ruth Powell who looks after the NCLS Research Centre. National Church Life Survey. That is correct, right. yep, which is the largest church survey in the world. Um, in it? terms of, yeah, longest running and most comprehensive. And one of the things that the NCLS does is it has a separate child survey for um, those who are 8 to 14 years old can fill in. And so it's great hearing from kids about their perception of Jesus, about faith, about um, who is an influence in their life. And so I have a half-hour conversation with Ruth and we talk through that. So that was really fun. Mm. So that's just re-released this week. Oh, check that out. Mm. Effective Ministry Podcast. That's it. Cool. Uh, 
I had a question for you, Aaron. You know, you're talking about looking at different pathways to getting into ministry. I feel like after hearing your story, yours is probably the most uh, usual way of getting uh, <laughs> into yes. ministry, which is funny. Yeah. But the reason I asked that, though, is um, like listening to my story, Tim's story, have you had any other in- interesting stories about how people have gone into ministry? Or what's the one that struck you the most? Yeah, it's a great question. We've had a, a whole diversity of people and which is, I think that's one of been the, one of the big overall impressions I've gotten as of interview people that everyone's story is so different and I'll get to one story in particular, but just the diversity of, as you said, part, some part-time, some full-time, different types of ministry, different arrangements and just different parts of the journey. And, and it's also, it's been a, I didn't plan to have a particular agenda with what I was going to talk about mm. when I was interviewing people, but it's just something that's come about as I've interviewed people just to show that you don't have to be a particular type of person or have a particular roadmap mm. to go to college or be set aside. Look, there's one person who actually I haven't interviewed, but I just want to share his story in terms of the, the, the impact of podcasting as well, is that he, from rural Western Australia, not a big town, I don't know off the top of it, my head what it is but some town in WA somewhere <laughs> over there it's in, it's in the some biggest crazy state. town <laughs> yeah he was just local church there younger sort of guy and just really wanted to go deeper in terms of his walk with with the Lord and um, was I don't know how he stumbled across us but heard about podcast and started listening and this year the start of this year I met this guy and introduced himself and turns out he like a spy had played a part in him coming all the way over from wa wow. to smbc that is awesome and it just prompted him he just started thinking about it and thought that's oh, cool yeah. yeah that's cool actually yeah i think i could do that and yeah. this guy wasn't necessarily thinking about it wasn't necessarily on his radar so keen to have him on formally but it's yeah, kind of like an informal i guess testimony yeah of the power of it. that's really cool there's other examples as well, people doing music ministry. That's been mm. cool as well. Mm. Here there's different journeys for music ministers and creative people as well. Mm. Um, mission, people who want to do missionary work. Um, everyone is just so different. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a beautiful and good thing. No, that's, it? that's you know? right. <laughs> it's, it, I think it is an interesting thing to start thinking about is that the different ways of getting into ministry. And it's not something that I've thought about too much, but... Uh, the world is ch- kind of changing, isn't it? Like you even think about things like the, um, they talk about the gig economy where you, some young people can't find enough work so they'll become Uber drivers or delivery drivers or things like that. So it's interesting, like it's almost like some people's careers are being sliced up now. You used to just do one thing but then people got side hustles and they're trying to get a full-time job but if they, there's this other kind of, what do we call it, like a, a, a uh, thought in society is like you should work for yourself you should find out ways to work for yourself so i think that's what's interesting in like how does ministry play into that and, and paid ministry especially as you're talking about tim do you mind if i ask you a question about uh ministry pathways how sure. do you, how important do you think ministry pathways are in terms of um Maybe not, I was going to say talent identification, but that's probably, <laughs> not, that's probably not the right word, is it? It's, it's more like... Well, it's funny you say that because it used to be, and maybe this is a bad thing, it used to be this thing of, you know, who are the, Who's the preacher, guys, young guys to watch or something, and yeah. hopefully people are moving away from that now. Yeah, and it's just, kind of you know, like... Who's being a certain gender or mm. being a certain, yeah, phrase like that, but 
see what you mean. And I feel like that maybe came out of the, the there was very much that church planning movement come out of America with people like Mark Driscoll and Acts 29 and stuff like There was a fair bit of that of like, let's we just got to find the, the go-getters kind of thing in ministry. But the reason I asked the question but before Tim was, how important do you think having a church is having ministry pathways to help people realize that they can do ministry, like something like Aaron was doing, but then also knowing how can those people know that's also an option for them? Do you think? Do you have any ideas? Around? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think. I mean, certainly from a youth and children's ministry point of view, uh, the just getting people involved at the lay level of children's and youth ministry, and just actually getting as many people to contribute and participate in ministry as possible and that often gives people a insight into what it means to prepare um, teaching to pray with kids to actually disciple walk alongside to pastor uh, to get to know teenagers through the ups and downs of life and so there's a lot of pastoral elements of that Um, I suppose from an adult point of view would be community groups or bible study groups would be a similar kind of thing Um, and so helping people to do that from you know, quite a young age uh, through and then just be looking out for those who seem to resonate with that as a way of ministry. Often we limit ourselves. We've got a particular um, sort of a type A personality that we're sometimes looking for that they can do all of these things and I don't think that that is necessarily – we want to be limited to those people I and mean, there's lots of different ways in which people can serve different types of personalities that can serve in ministry in different ways. Um, so we want people to be able to express their gifts in ministry and then we do want to be looking out for those who might want to use those gifts vocationally. Uh, I think you're right in asking how do we set before them a vision that mm. this is something you could do vocationally and um, maybe that's experiencing different or just uh, being aware of lots of different types of churches, different um, churches in your network or your denomination or whatever it is, just to see that there's lots of um, opportunities available. Uh, Certainly for youth and children's ministry, we have more churches asking us for youth and children's ministers than we have people that we know of who are looking for jobs. So there are dozens and dozens of churches, even within the Sydney Anglican network, who have money, would love to pay someone to do children's and youth ministry and do not have someone available. And so... Uh, there is uh, a demand there that we do not have the people for. Um, and I think that also goes for adult ministry as well. I think that there are holes there. Um, they have talked for the last number of years about declining people pursuing ordination through more college and other places. So uh, maybe there's not a vision being put forward of what this looks like. Um, there's There's been an alternate uh, story um, as well, which is... Uh, a good story, which is you can be faithful and it's important to minister faithfully in your secular role and to actually be a faithful witness to Christ um, as a plumber or an insurance agent or as a lawyer or as a whatever it is. Like you, It's important and I think that's right. We want to raise people up and say, yes, you're a faithful servant of Jesus in whatever sphere you find yourself in. Um, but there is a need for those who can be set aside to pastor and to pastor well. Um, and so pathways into that um, are important. But it, I think the best pathways are those that um, start, like Aaron said, where you have a minister who knows you, who have watched you, uh, mm-hmm. who was invested in you, mm-hmm. who taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I, 
I have watched you, I know you, I have walked alongside you for many years uh, and I believe that you're the sort of person that would actually, um, God could be using and raising up to do this. So we need prayerful leaders who have an eye to their congregations who are looking out for people who can they can raise up uh, and to raise up and send out as well. And I think that sometimes um, what I see is a bit of a limitation in we, we have uh, some very very large churches um, who are not necessarily having see a need for their own youth and children's leaders and so don't really tap anyone on the shoulder to take those on. We have very, very small churches who don't really have anyone who um, is feeling equipped for vocational ministry and they're the ones who are struggling and often asking, hey, please send us someone. Um, it's the medium-sized churches that often will discover, identify a gap. Hey, it'd be great if we could pay someone and we're just big enough to raise someone up from within our midst. Uh, and so that's largely where we see people come to YouthWorks College for. Uh, what I would love to see is I'd love to see, particularly those larger churches, to say, hey, we've got 10 people here who would all do excellent ministry and we're going to send them out knowing that we'll never get them back again. Uh, and just that sacrificial, uh, yeah, we will lose 10 of our best people uh, willingly because that means that there's 10 other churches out there who will uh, receive people uh, who can be trained up for ministry. That would be awesome. And there are a couple of churches uh, over the last... 20, 30 years that I can point to and say, oh, yeah, that church has been really significant. You know, um, there's a whole cohort of people that you realise have all at some point walked through this church or this church and you go, oh, yeah, that, that church was obviously had their eye on the ball and they were thinking, who can I raise up, send out? Uh, so that's really encouraging when we see that. Mm. Uh, and then being able to know what your different networks are. So whatever your denomination is, we'll have some sort of pathway into uh, formal vocational training, um, uh, some sort of ordination, whatever your denomination is in terms of how they set aside leaders. Uh, there is a clear pathway through the Anglican system. Like The, the Anglican um, has quite good, robust systems for doing that in a number of different ways. Um, so that, that works quite well. And, yeah, other uh, denominations that I don't know as well I mean, yeah, have those kind of systems as well. Yeah. I can tell you've thought a lot about it in particular. Well, it's, it's often a need that we have to think about mm. for children's and youth, particularly because, again, we've got so many churches that would love to have a two-day-a-week children's minister um, or youth minister. Um, and part of that, we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, that that in itself is a little bit of a problem because it's hard to sell a vision to someone and say, hey, set aside this many years of study mm. um, in order to have a guaranteed two-day-a-week job. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, I need five days a week to actually be able to afford rent and food yeah. uh, and it's like oh well we can't offer you five so there is there's there are things there that we can do and we can partner jobs and we help people through that um, a lot but that is one of the um, uh, one of the barriers I think in people getting into uh, vocational children's and youth ministry is there's there's lots of part-time roles um, and that's tricky I mean, it's a yeah. It's interesting because I uh, like I'm I'm part time. You're part time, mm. and uh, well, one of my jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, one of your jobs is. Well, no, only that I'm I'm a weird exception. Is that I <laughs> I am full time for YouthWorks. Yeah. So as far as Soul Revival is concerned, I'm only one day a week. But yeah, that's that's almost over and above. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's 
that's a little bit different. No, thank you yeah. for clarifying. That's important. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to ask you, Aaron, like you think about ministry pathways and also it's, it's almost, it is a, a fine balance, isn't it? Because we're talking about part-time work there, which might be a way to get into ministry. But is it um, perhaps the uh, easiest thing for someone to get into because then they might be working, might not, might not be able to work only two days a week or they would need, like we need, I need a, you know, five days a week, wherever that comes from. Um, any thoughts on that in terms of ministry pathways for yourself? I mean, you're working as a student pastor, but also studying. What What are you thinking as you're only, how much longer have you got left on your college got degree? a year and a half left. So what do you, yeah. yeah, cool. So a year and a half, you're probably starting to think like, what are you going to do when you finish that? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? And mm. I suppose, how does that relate to ministry pathways for mm. yourself? Well, to comment on what you said, Tim, I think that was really helpful just in terms of structures and systems mm. and, particularly about money there at the end. I definitely think that's the thing that's been coming up in a lot of our episodes, right. the financial cost. Mm. And and maybe it's also because we have financial expectations that are unrealistic, maybe. Mm. But it is a genuine thing of what will it look like? How will I be able to live? How will I be able to support a family? Mm. If I am part-time or even if I'm full-time, what does that mean for salary and stuff? And, and obviously we don't go into ministry for money, but mm. there are some genuine, I think, human concerns there and challenges so that's interesting you raise that because i've definitely noticed that's that's come up as a yeah, as a key obstacle i've noticed in the wider christian world like you know sources in the uk and america there's a growing conversation about the um bivocational ministry the idea that you would yes you might be putting one or two days of set aside ministry into a church but actually your primary income is coming from outside the church and there's, I mean, one of the big benefits of that is it's not a financial burden on the church. So you can actually have um, ministry led by people, um, but it's not, you know, if the church is under-resourced and doesn't have um, a lot of money coming through the offertory, you can still have ministry. Of course, the, the big downside, and maybe this is just a big cultural shift, but we, uh, certainly in, um, in the West, um, and certainly well-established systems like the Anglican system, we expect that our minister is full-time available to the church. And that's, that's good and it's right and it's wonderful when that can happen. But if we are increasingly in this, as you say, Joel, this kind of gig economy where yeah. um, you know, full-time vocational or full-time work, you know, same job for the first you know, the 50 years of your vocational life, if that's not normal or can be expected what might it look like to have a pastor who is the pastor of your church um, but three days a week is doing some other job. And so they, they don't have as much capacity in terms of some of that personal pastoral work perhaps. Um, and it also requires a different rethink of well, what is the pastor actually doing? What are we asking them to do? What's their job description? What's their role description? Um, if we're able to... Um, pay them a stipend which frees them up from having to work two days a week uh, what are our hopes and expectations that that minister will do with those two days a week in terms of serving the church is their job primarily about uh, sitting under the word of God writing sermons and preaching the sermons is that the primary task or uh, knowing that we can't do everything is it more about uh, household visitations and actually walking beside individuals one by one um, or is it something else? Like there's, there's lots of things you can fill your time with and one of the challenges with ministry is that there's always something else that you can do. Uh, and so 
what are we actually setting aside that person to do? What do we think is the most important task there? And that might be split between multiple people. There might be different things. Uh, there might be a lot of lay coordinators that we need to raise up. Um, I mean, we as church, we have um, volunteer pastors and we've got a whole team of volunteer pastors who uh, are not paid by the church at any capacity and yet they have a title of pastor within different gatherings and congregations where uh, there are certain responsibilities of pastoral care or church leadership or preaching or leading services that they can do mm. um, in recognising that they're not being uh, set aside in any way monetarily to do ministry, but they're just serving out of the capacity they have. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to start thinking about it, is that like how do you give perhaps people, as someone we talked about earlier, is how do you perhaps give people a taster mm. for ministry before they actually decide to step out, whether it is going to college or you're able to take on some kind of paid ministry as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so at Anchor Church, Aaron, how does... Like, how does that work for people? How do, how, like, do you have certain um, ways that you'd like to uh, encourage people to step into ministry? It's volunteer to begin with, but is there, is there ways that you're, you're, you're kind of doing that? You, you would, I'm assuming you would have some kind of system or process. How, like, if someone new comes to church, maybe they became a Christian or they've come from another church and you think they're ready to ta- step in and do some kind of ministry role. Do you have, uh, what's your process for that? That's the question I'm asking. Well, we only just, at- Anchor Northern Beaches, we're a family of churches, but we only just church planted eight mm. months ago. Right. So from the actual mother church plant, Anchor City. Mm-hmm. So at the moment it's just been forming ministry teams and and we have this thing called gospel communities, which are like midweek Bible studies, kind of kind of like a Bible study, but like a missional community and a Bible study. So, And those are spaces where we have volunteer gospel community leaders. And so there are spaces where people can be volunteering i guess or serving in church but i imagine similar to down here in the shire it's just that question of time and capacity and Mm -hmm. and lifestyle and people are busy and we've lots lots of generous people who are giving lots of time money don't hear me wrong this to make a church plan happen you've got to have people who are really invested yes Mm. Yes, you do (laughs) so and we have that absolutely Mm. but it's really interesting you get the model you guys have of having some people who are non-paid pastors and that's really cool because people get an opportunity and they can still serve and use their gifts Mm. even though they're not quote-unquote paid and interesting as well you mentioned about the bivocational model on how growing up at least i didn't hear that spoken about heaps Mm. so yeah yeah. it wasn't really on the cards yeah that was a question i was going to ask like after the things you were talking about tim is there a perception amongst local churches that the only way you can get into ministry is by going to college first do you think oh that's an interesting question um I think it's right and appropriate that those who are being set aside for ministry are theologically trained. Mm. So I think it's it's right and appropriate that you do um, equip people through theological education in order to be ministry in churches. Um, now, there's lots of different types of ministry, but certainly for those who have key responsibility, I think it's right that they are being trained in some way. Um, and there's lots of different... There might be different pathways into that there might be different courses that are appropriate at different ways um i think one of the dangers of assuming um a particular uh, bible college stream particularly if it's a three-year or four-year um sort of bachelor or master's level is it assumes that to be a good pastor is to be a deep uh intellectual and to be uh book smart um and 
there, I think that we can form a danger there. Uh, and even just the perception that if, unless I'm getting good grades in Bible college, that's my marker of being a good pastor. Good pastor yeah. um, and uh, there's, yeah, there's a danger there that we equate the two, that, you know, great pastors get HDs and that's... Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's where you're at, Aaron, that's, that's fantastic. All right, man. <laughs> um, but there... There is a disconnect. I had this conversation with the children's ministry just this week, actually. There's a, there's a disconnect between the types of skills that particularly a really rigorous, intellectually driven Bible college program, which is appropriate for many, many good reasons, but there's a disconnect between that and the actual task of being a pastor in a church. Of, of min- actual and the, ministry. You know, high EQ that is required, the, mm. the walking beside people in lament and in rejoicing and in relational ministry. And that's not a natural fit and there is a danger that uh, by training people in this highly intellectual space that we implicitly equate that with successful pastoring. And I just think there needs to be a recognition that, no, they're not the same thing. Um, It's important and I absolutely think that those who are going to be set aside vocationally, significant part-time or full-time pastoring must be theologically trained. Absolutely, I think that's super, super important. Um, but also that pastoring is far more than that. Um, and you can get HDs in a university-level theological course uh, and not necessarily be a good pastor, um, and you can barely pass your intellectual subjects but be a really wonderful um, pastor in terms of higher EQ, being able to walk alongside people um, in the joys and struggles of life and you know, the Ephesians 4 picture of being equipped to serve the church to equip them for works of service. Mm-hmm. So th- being a pastor is multifaceted. Um, the intellectual bookish side is an important aspect, but it's not the totality. Um, and I think that there's there's lots of things that we need. And, and that's why one of the things that I'm really committed to is the ongoing... Uh, professional development post-college of children's and youth ministers is because partly we want to update them on current thinking, but also we want to provide professional supervision. We want to provide coaching. We want to provide resourcing ideas. And so a large part of my job is meeting one-on-one with children's and youth ministers where we can just talk through all of those kinds of things because that helping you do your week-by-week, day-by-day ministry um, is just as important as those two years you spent digesting, exegeting, learning Greek, being able to write essays. That was a part of it, an important part, but not the only part. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I mean, you've brought up some really good points today, Tim, so I <laughs> say thanks for that. But also um, that, yeah, that's why I asked that question of is it the perception that you just need to go to Bible college first. Like there's, there's kind of... There has been a group of people and always has. It's like finish school and go to Bible college and then become a pastor, or at least in the Anglican system. That's what, that's what I've observed. But um, interestingly, that's not, for example, Stu's um, journey. He became a youth minister first. So did youth ministry first. So are you going to correct no, me? I would, no, I wasn't going to correct. I was going to jump <laughs> in and just say that there's um, – so in Australia, we, there's broadly two types of tertiary education models. Mm. Mm. So one is the university model, and that is uh, you dedicate yourself to full-time study on a particular topic, subject area, vocation, um, 
and you just work really hard for three, four, whatever years, however many years the course is, uh, and then once you have learned all of those things and you've, been, you've set aside your life to do those, you then go out and you find an entry-level position in that role. Yep. So that would, that's a university kind of model. Then you've got the TAFE model, which is the vocational training model, which is um, often uh, in Australia it's going to be you know, your, your tradies apprenticeships, or apprenticeship yeah. type style. And you might spend three days a week on the work site um, in your particular field and then a couple of nights and one day a week in a classroom learning the theory that goes along with the practice that you're already doing. And one of the – so um, our flagship uh, college as Anglicans is more college. That's very much a university model. Mm. So it, it's set aside uh, three years, four years if you do the, the advanced course. Um, and you are in a church and you're doing one day a week of student ministry like Braden is doing in our church. Uh, like Aaron is at his church. And Aaron is. Mm. So, but largely it's – you are primarily being set aside to study and to do the academic theory side of things, to, to do the readings, to be embedded in a community of students, um, a academic community with all the lecturers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a different model, which is, so YouthWorks College would fit under the sort of TAFE model, which is our, our full-time students are only in class two days a week, and the rest of the time they're in the parish doing the actual role of ministry. And so it's, um, there's that difference there as well. And I th- um, the different things will suit different people. There's there's different outcomes that you have from that. Um, but <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Uh, the yes, there's uh, you're right. Yeah, Stu, myself, Jai, um, Fee, Red Eye, like a number of us who sort of grew up through Guy Mead. Red, Red Eye's Matt. Matt. Yep. Matt. Red Eye Redmond. Um, we often we had a job in the church before we thought about. Mm, that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just a different way. Which meant that the TAFE model actually worked really well. Yep. And so we, I think all of us, did SNBC part-time mm-hmm. and just a couple of subjects because we were spending most of our time actually in the parish. And so that was a, a different way in to the pathway um, and, yeah, had, had different kind of effects mm-hmm. on it. Um, just like talking about that kind of the two models and <laughs> you were also saying how can you be a – like is a good pastor one that just gets HDs at college. I was going to ask you then, Aaron, if you just finish your semester at college, do you feel pressure to be the HD pastor, like get everything right, get the really good marks to be able to be a good pastor? Well, to what you said, Tim, earlier, it's this whole idea of what is a pastor and mm. our culture is seemingly shaping what they want the pastor to be. And I was reading Eugene Peterson a couple weeks ago and he was talking about this, how each generation they shape a pastor in their own image. Okay. And so just this, for me, it's been this question of what is, what, what am I meant to be doing as a pastor with my time aside, just been learning about what is the most important thing for me to do and what actually is the identity of a pastor. And I, I recall a couple episodes ago or maybe a season ago, you were talking about like the church growth movement and how... Oh, yeah. It's it's shaped us in a certain way, and then there's been other forces as well that have shaped us in different directions of how we manage our time, whether that's like a business way or oh, you're being super professional so and stuff. I think yeah. So I feel lots of different pulls of what I'm meant to do. Mm. I feel some pulls that tell me I need to be really good with people mm. and really good at one on one and really good at crying with people and rejoicing with people and absolutely. And then I hear other pulls that say 
Hmm. You need to be really organized and you need to have vision and you need to have goals and you need to like, what are you doing this week? Like how much stuff are you producing for the, you know, how much are you on task? And that's good too. That's yeah, how productive too. are you? You know, how productive are you? And I guess it's more like a business metric and yep. relates that at a commerce degree. I understand that yep. mindset, but it just at times, and then there's preaching obviously and prayer and sermons and getting them really trying to get them as best as I can. So I feel lots of tugs and I, I struggle with sometimes as to what it sometimes feels different. Mm. It feels very different when you're at your desk and you're going through a checklist. And maybe that's just, that's just part of how it is. We, we get to go, get some of the good stuff from that way of thinking. But then at other times it feels like you shift into different modes of mm. now mm. I'm doing people mode. And I certainly felt, feel like productivity feels very different. So I was doing, I was in like an education company before Bible college and productivity is very clear. I still think but in ministry it is sometimes clear you need to get things done, but sometimes I feel it's just different. The way we measure productivity, the way we measure success, I find that really hard as in to know how you're doing a good job and yeah. whether you're accomplishing what you're meant to do. It's like people and how do you measure that? And yeah. I mean, I actually, you know, you just, I think you're spot on because that was the same when I came into ministry too. It was like there's some frustration, like why can't we just get this done? <laughs> Like that, <laughs> and sometimes you can't. And mm. I also value that, like you being honest about that, because mm. I feel like there may be also a thing of no, you're just a pastor, and then you just you're either productive or you just like it, it. Yeah, it's interesting that what also what expectations a congregation will have of their pastors as well is like, well, we need some people might say we need this pastor to be like really close to us and walking side by side with us. Whereas oh, we need the pastor to be setting vision and sorting us out and all that kind of thing. And I, always, and I wonder, and Tim, you're going to have to help me out with this because I won't get it right, I don't think. But <laughs> like, there's, there's got to be, a, I think, a conversation around this. And it's something I've been thinking about lately, just just in like the dynamics of our staff team, is that what's God obviously gives us gifts as well, then also sets some of us aside to be pastors. So how do we come up, or how do we come up with ways of identifying what our skills and gifts that God's given us as pastors and then he's put us in a particular context to do that. How do we figure that out to be able to best serve the kingdom? Like Aaron, for example, you might be really good at these areas, but then there's also areas that you still have to do. So how do we, I mean, I'm always like, Tim, you talk about doing the strength fighters test mm. earlier. My, my top strength is individuality, but it's in terms of finding what other people are good at individually and trying to put them in the best position to right. do that. So that's why that's my, that's where I'm thinking, that's where I'm starting to think is like, how do we, like I, I, we've talked about before that uh, Stu is a phenomenal, in my opinion, a phenomenal preacher, but also uh, just, um, we talked about evangelists and, and mm. an outward evangelist. I think yep. Stu is extremely gifted at that. And I think he's very, very good at that. And we've said before that we probably don't have anywhere near as good, a, a stronger gift as he does in that. But also we have different gifts as well. So, how I think this is my question, I suppose, and it might be difficult to answer. Maybe we just chuck it around. But how do we identify the skills and gifts of the people that are in our congregations, but also in our staff teams, and put them in the best place possible, rather than perhaps maybe the old an older model is like that person is just the pastor and they have to do everything right. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think again that picture of Ephesians four is really helpful. That mm. that God sets aside. Um, pastors, teachers, shepherds, uh, in order to build up the church and equip them for the ministry. And so there's a really important part where the pastor is 
the servant of all and is seeking to be the equipper. Um, and so, uh, interestingly, that strength that you have of the <laughs> finding individuals and helping them to succeed in their particular gifts and skills, uh, I think that has a lot of resonance with that Ephesians 4 picture of the leadership of the church are those who help build up others and equip them because the goal is for all of us as a unity to build up into the maturity, which is the head, which is Christ. And so I think that's really significant. And uh, unfortunately, we do have often in church cultures the idea that um, the pastor is the one who should be doing things. And there's a whole lot of false assumptions that fall into that. Um, Part of it is the well, I pay you, so I should get things from you that um, I want. Like your that yeah you know, idea, I put money in the plate, and so I want you to be doing this for me, and those kind of things, which is the completely backwards way of seeing the role of pastor. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that part of it, like in knowing knowing ourselves, and that can be a long term process of, but things like you know strength finders and things like. I mean, I had a coach a couple of years ago help. He asked me to write out five stories for my ministry that just really make my heart sing. Mm. Um, And then five stories for my ministry that felt like they crushed me. Mm. And then we sat down together with those five, with those 10 stories. And he said, All right, let's, from these stories, let's work out what do you particularly value in ministry. And so this was part of, yeah, there's, there's a theological and a biblical ground for um, pastoring and for church ministry, which would be true of everyone because, you know, it's overarching. And then there are each of our individual skills. And so part of this process for me was working out what are the things that make my heart sing? What are the things that feel like they crush me? And what does that show about the things that I value in ministry? And so through that process, which is a multi-month coaching process, was to come up with a personal ministry philosophy. So it was a ministry philosophy that uh, was about how God has personally equipped me to minister to the saints. And things like all these strength finder assessments and you know Enneagrams or Myers-Briggs or any of these kind of things kind of help feed that, not to be tied to it um, and in a way that says, well, I can't do that because God's equipped me like this way. Um, we should always be willing to be a servant of all. But God has made the body uh, to be a body. And so... Um, if if God has made you to be a finger, stop trying to be a nose. Like it just <laughs> like that's uh, and but it also means that you desperately need all of the other people in there, and so you want to keep equipping yourself and the church with those who are unlike yourself, mm. um, and because that is actually how good ministry is going to happen. Um, I think I've kind of talked around. I'm not sure if I've answered your question precisely. No, that was kind of fascinating. I'm, I'm just wondering what your reaction to that is, um, Aaron, because you, you talked about filling all the different pools. Mm. And I was just, that's a really cool story about uh, Tim saying about sharing those stories. Like that. Those, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that might be a way of helping you figure that stuff out as well. Mm. Like that's that's really cool. Um, like that. Yeah. Uh, we are actually running out of time because we need to, we, you and I need to record a podcast. <laughs> I was just wondering, any, any final words that you want to say first before we, before we kind of wrap it up? I oh, just want to encourage you both of what you're doing here. And oh. <laughs> I know I keep going on about it, but it is really, really excellent. And mm. I've been getting a lot from listening to your episodes and mm. just been learning a lot personally as someone younger trying to wrestle with these ministry questions. So mm. very grateful for the stuff you're producing and 
what you said, Tim, just reminded me of kind of what has been coming up over and over that it doesn't seem to be a cookie cutter kind of model yeah, or yeah, person. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that seems to be like a key takeaway moving forward. That mm, maybe in the yeah. past we were kind of cookie cutter, but mm-hmm. maybe moving forward, maybe more flexible. Whether it's by vocational or yep. the person and their gifting, and yeah, so I think that's yeah, and I, I feel like maybe stepping out a little bit, but like we're talking about, like God gave us gifts to not be cookie. We're not, he didn't make any of us like, it, you know, the whole argument of like, no person has the same DNA, right? Like, so God's made us like that. So yeah, how do we create it to be, it's not just the kind of that alpha personality that we talked about. It's no, there's right. God's putting us in you, Aaron, putting you in your particular context in the the beaches for a particular reason because you, and he's giving you certain gifts for that. It's the same with me. It's the same with Tim and Stu and everyone else here at, uh, on, on, on staff here. And there's like, how, yeah, that's, that's my, again, like I said, that's my back, that's my, always my thought is like, what's this person good at and how do we find it? I think, I think that perhaps is a way to mitigate against that gig economy to a certain degree of this person's good at this. How can we get them involved in ministry? And maybe that's the, the way to approach it. I don't know. Final words, Tim? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've had you've had a lot of words, though. So <laughs> yeah. and actually, but a lot of, I've lot of just taking notes here. Like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of a lot of valuable points, though. So Thanks sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you for that. But thank oh, you. you didn't embarrass me. No, I, was, I, I think you wrapped up really well. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so thank you very much, Tim. Really appreciate it, Thanks, man. Brother. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on. Yeah. Really appreciate you being willing to come down here. Like you said, you travelled two hours for Bible College. I think you're going to travel further today. So we really appreciate you coming down and being part of this, and also just. I think you've probably brought out some things that we ha- wouldn't have talked about mm. if you hadn't been on there. So that's what's oh, really pleasure. cool about it. Good yeah. to create a partnership with you guys. Yeah, we're exactly. Not alone. Exactly. Yeah, well, right. well, there it is. He put the link in. I didn't there need to go. do it. You did that. it. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, podcast. That's the other right. thing. We're, we're never alone, right? We we always talk about we don't want to do ministry alone at Sorrow Revival. We want to do it as a team. But also, how can we partner with other churches? Like you're saying, we'd be we're very happy to continue the relationship that we have with you, whether it's on the podcast. Uh, make sure you check out the Aspire podcast, I should say. that They can get that anywhere on their podcast app. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Same as I hear you guys. Se- yeah. Search Aspire yeah. and you'll find it. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very Looking much. Looking forward for to having you on Aspire. Yes. yes. Well, we'll record it soon. It'll be, I'll be on soon. <laughs> so that'd be good. Um, as always, we like to finish with a one-way, guys. So we'll do that. And thanks very much for listening and watching. And you can email me at joel at shockersorbit.com.au if you've got any questions or you want to pepper Aaron with some questions. Uh, we're very happy to answer them in or we'll send him his way. So let's do that. And... Uh, Thanks, guys. One way. One way.